And now, for the show reflecting on classic radio, Hollywood 360, with your host, Carl Amari. You lost your magic. They knocked you off your game. Your Carlness went right out the window. What's with this Carlness? It's not even a, a real word. It's a conjunction, a preposition. It's a philosophy, a way of life. It's your name with miss attached to it. Bob, listen to me. If you'd have done what I asked you to and come in my dressing room before the show, you'd have known that you weren't supposed to come out here until I introduced you. Jack, I tried to get into your dressing room, but I didn't have a nickel. I understand you're pretty funny as a DJ, and comedy is a kind of hobby of mine. Well, well actually, it's a little more than just a hobby. Reader's Digest is considering publishing two of my jokes. Really? Yeah. From Hollywood, it's time now for... Money Dollar. Leave the gun. Take the cannoli. Quiet, numbskulls. I'm broadcasting. Hello, everyone. I'm Carl Amari, and this is Hollywood 360, the radio show that presents the best in classic radio. This hour on Hollywood 360, I'll present the conclusion to the Burns and Allen show. Then, it's a fun sci-fi adventure on the CBS radio workshop starring Dick Beals. With me, as always, is my co-host, Lisa Wolf. What's up, Lisa? Hey, Carl. Hey, you got a new haircut. I sure do. New haircut, new uh, color. It's like uh, lighter. What'd it's, you do? It's highlighted. It's highlighted. Yeah, okay. yeah you got to be careful with yeah. the terminology here. Was it, is that a Sassoon cut or a Mario Tricocci or No, Tricosi I just did it or, myself. Is I it Tricocci or Tricocci? I think it's Tricocci. Okay. <laughs> You did it yourself. I yeah. did. I just take the scissors and go around. Just I put a around. bowl on the top bowl of my head, top. and then I cut around the bowl. Yeah, and it comes out real nice and even that right. way. Right, it looks fantastical. Thanks. Yes. I used a nice big ceramic giant bowl. bowl. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because you have a huge, a huge head. Huge sort head. of had to fit two in the bowl. brains in that head. Exactly. So, yeah, it looks great. I mean, and uh, then do you eat out of the bowl once you're done taking it off your head, or do you wash it? No, I keep the hair just right. for keepsake. Right. I like to look at it. It makes right. me feel good. Very. good. Good. Well, I like it. It looks good on you. You look a lot younger. Oh. It's terrific. Oh, well, yeah. thank you. You really do. looks great. You look like you're about 17 years old now. Well, it's close. I'm Very... close to that anyway. What's so. happening in Hollywood? Well, Anna Kendrick and Justin Timberlake are in the news. They are the star of Trolls, which is an upcoming 3D computer animated movie. It's a musical comedy. And Justin serves as the executive producer for the music in mm-hmm. the film. Okay. And Justin and Anna have been all of the news because they performed one song from the movie, which is an acoustic duet cover of Cindy Lauper's True Colors. Okay. They're using that as the as the, one of the songs from the film. Right. And they did this cover version and it's 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 really it's gorgeous. The rage. It's the rage. I didn't everywhere. know Anna Kendrick was such a beautiful singer. Of mm. course we all know Justin Timberlake's uh, Well Anna Kendrick, isn't she from the uh from the uh, acapella movies, those yes, movies? Yes, yeah. that's right. She was yeah, in so that she movie. she Oh, she, she's yeah. a great singer. Mm-hmm. And in addition, um, for this movie, um, Ariana Grande and Gwen Stefani will also contribute to the soundtrack. So I think what's most exciting about this movie will be the music. I even think I remember the name of those movies. Was it Pitch Perfect? Pitch Perfect. I watched and it Pitch recently. Pitch Perfect too? You know, I watched it with my wow. daughter just See, recently. I even surprise myself sometimes. You surprise because me every day, Carl. that's not... Not the kind of movies I like. I like action. I like blood this and was gore. Almost and romantic, horror too. and all that. You know, 
Why would I even know that? I mean, well, Carl, you are just a. <laughs> I just, I'm just gonna a, leave it just a. Yeah, mm, uh, just a. Let's uh, leave it at. Leave uh. it. Uh. All right. So okay. Thank you. Thank you. I'll have to check that out. Trolls. Yes, trolls. All right. Very cool. Which is, of course, uh, based on the troll dolls. Okay. Yep. Yeah, and we'll they check each it play out. a troll. Yeah. Check it out. All right. Last time we tuned into the uh, the beginning of a Burns and Allen show. We have part two now for you. Let's go back to February 28th, 1940. George Burns and Gracie Allen on uh, the conclusion now, The Burns and Allen Show. You know, Gracie, I've been worrying about the speeches you're going to make at your rallies. Have you rallied? Yes, have you rallied. <laughs> well, wait till you hear the speeches, crew, and then you'll have something to worry about. Well, I'm serious, George. You see, Gracie, a presidential candidate has to shake hands with millions of people. Yes. If we don't know what's coming. Why, in a single campaign, the average candidate shakes enough hands to milk all the cows in the country. Is that so? Mm-hmm. And what do they do with all the milk? <laughs> they they use it to whitewash their opponents. Say, George, is it true that the whitewash is That's enough, the Gracie. You don't even have to finish it. Just so, stay I where you are. So at your rallies, Gracie, I can protect you. You see, before each meeting, I can tell the voters how Heinz honey and almond cream will make their hands soft and make their hands white and make their hands smooth. Well, what if they've only got two hands? Then they can use a small bottle. Oh. See what I mean? A small size. Yes. Why, if they'll only use a 25-cent bottle while you're speaking, Gracie, their hands will be thrilling to touch and good till the last drop. Truman, you're thinking of Maxwell House coffee. Oh, pardon me. Hello, Miss Allen. Well, they said I couldn't do it. Well, I couldn't get anywhere here in Los Angeles, so I flew right to Sacramento. I couldn't get the first base there. So without food or sleep, I went on to Jefferson City, Missouri, from there to Springfield, Illinois, on into Albany, New York City, and then to Washington, D.C., and I clicked. Nice work. Here it is. <laughs> what is that? Horns. Horns? I've got to give them out at my convention. Well, I give up. These are uh, $3 a dozen, Miss Allen, and they're a steal. Okay, steal me a dozen. Now, here's a horn that the Republicans and Democrats are using. <laughs> of course, this is very hard to blow. Oh, well, they have more wind than we have. Yeah, but not between the ears. And what is this convention? For the Chamber of Commerce. Well, where are you going to hold it? By the handle. Come on, come on. Bubbles, sit down and take a letter. All right. Now, is the letter important, or can I leave my gloves on? Well, it's... Gracie, you better talk quietly. She uses a soft pencil. Oh. Um, letter. Uh, Frank, what's today's date? Elsie. Edna couldn't make it. February 28th. All right, I'm ready. Oh, good. To all other presidential candidates, semicolon, United States of America, period, gentlemen, question mark. Gentlemen, question mark. I've got it. Well, boys, the jig is up. Well, it's a nice opening. <laughs> Election day will be in November this year. Turkeys will cost you 38 cents a pound. Cranberries will be 50 cents a bucket. Plum puddings will be $2 each. But a good president won't cost you a nickel, so be sure and go out and vote for me. <laughs> you're, you're asking the other presidential candidates to vote for you? Well, sure, there's so many presidential candidates that if I only get half of them to vote for me, I'm bound to be elected. I see what you mean. Go ahead, continue. Uh, this letter is being dictated by a lady, typewritten by a lady, so don't forget to take your hats off while you're reading it. <laughs> I've got it. All right. Sign it, Gracie Allen, President of the United States, and mail it out right away. Gracie, you're not president yet. Well, I will be by the time this letter is delivered. That's some letter. 
And Bubbles makes uh, 50,000 copies. One from each candidate. Yes. I thought so, yes. Uh, Bubbles, address the envelopes in girlish handwriting. Mark it personal and send it to their home. I want their wives to read it, too. (laughs) 50,000 copies. Well, it's a nice hunk of postage to throw away. What do you mean, postage? I'll initial the corners of the envelopes and they won't need stamps. Frank, will you believe this? For a minute, I forgot that you were Postmaster General. Well, that's life, I guess. Yes, I guess People so. Forget, life. You know. Miss Allen, the reporters are here. Oh, oh, well, send them in. The reporters? Uh-huh. This way, gentlemen. Oh, Miss Allen, I'm Harry Crocker, the examiner. I do. Matt Weinstock, Daily News. I Casey Sean, Los Angeles Times. I do. Gracie, why are you shaking hands with your left hand? Well, I'm saving my right hand for when I'm president. <laughs> How do? I do. Miss mm. Allen, my newspaper wants to know just what your platform is. Well, it's naughty pine trimmed with oak and inlaid with California red. <laughs> That's to match your head. Yes. I thought so, yes. Uh, Miss Allen, what would be the first thing you would do if you were elected? I'd put my daddy in the Senate. Your daddy doesn't know anything about the Senate. Oh, yeah? He's been making speeches from the floor for years. He's still on the floor, I'll bet. That's my daddy. That's the kid, yes. <laughs> Miss Allen, my city editor wants to know what your opinion is on capitalism versus the little man. Oh, I know. I never go to wrestling matches. Are you in favor of monopolies? Oh, well, I don't play Monopoly. I like Mahjong better. Yes. <laughs> yes. Now, what do you think of the neutrality bill? Well, if we owe it, let's pay it. Gracie, why don't you call this all? You know you know nothing about it. You haven't said one thing that's right. Well, I'd rather be president than right. Boys, there's no use trying to interview her. Mr. Burns, will you stop bawling her up? I'm bawling her up? Yes, yes. quiet. Miss Allen, all the other candidates are talking on how to bring back prosperity. Now, what's your point? She doesn't even know what prosperity is. I do, too. Prosperity is when business is good enough so that you can buy the things on credit that you can't afford anyway, and that way you can save enough money to pay cash for new things after they've taken back the things you've got on credit. <laughs> How are you doing, boys? Miss Allen, would you recognize Russia? Well, that's hard to say. You see, I meet so many people. <laughs> don't have to meet them all on this program, do you? Uh, what do you think of the British blockade? Oh, we'll get by. We will, Alan. Look, I say, George, I don't mind being referred to as British, but I do object to being called a blockade. <laughs> boys, this is Ray Noble. Hello. How do He looks like a pipe cleaner I once threw away. <laughs> well, now, that's possible, uh... Where did you throw me? Cheerio. Oh, Cheerio. Cheerio, yeah. Uh, Miss Allen, what do you think of our national debt? Well, we ought to be proud of it. It's the biggest in the world. Boys, either go ahead or just go so that we can do our broadcast. Quiet. Quiet. Yeah, yeah quiet. quiet. Now, Miss Allen, how would you keep our gold reserve from shrinking? Well, I'd wash it in luck. Oh. <laughs> Truman. Truman, maybe you can get these guys out. Well, I'll try it, George. Say, boys, uh, I've got a bottle in my overcoat. A bottle? A bottle. Scott, you're right. Hi, I'm Sonny Norman Cream. Thanks, Truman. <laughs> you're too late, Truman. I gave that bottle to my girl. She's got a couple of chaps I'm trying to get rid of. Thanks, Frank. <laughs> boys, this is Frank Parker, the Postmaster General. Well, he ought to be swell. He's got a face like an old-style one-cent stamp. Mm. It's a nice TL for you, Pinky. Thanks. Now, Miss Allen, just a few more questions. Boys. Is there anything you can actually... Boys, are you through? Not yet, Mr. Burns, but don't feel that you have to stick around on our account. Well, this is the end. I'm going to call up the sponsor and explain the whole thing to him. I'm not going to lose my job. Come on, boys, let's finish the interview. Operator, get me long distance. Hold the line. Miss Allen, is there anything... Now, please, boys, Mr. Burns is calling the sponsor. Hey, this noble guy looks very familiar. Uh, Mr. Noble, didn't I once see you in Yonkers? 
I don't think so. I haven't worn a pair of Yonkers in years. Long distance. Get me Mr. Marvin of the Heinz Honey and Armored Cream per, per, uh, Company, New York. Hold the line. Miss Allen, is there anything that you can actually promise the voters? Oh, sure. I can promise voters that if I can't find a way to reduce the high cost of living, then we'll just have to do without it. Here's your party. Hello, Mr. Marvin. Yes? This is George Burns speaking. Oh, yes. How are you? Well, I just want to call you up and tell you that I have nothing to do with Gracie's running for president. I've been trying to do a broadcast, and all she's been doing is giving away political jobs. Well, that's the uh, president's privilege, oh, and believe quiet, me... quiet. Let me get through talking. It's ridiculous, Mr. Marvin, making an orchestra leader an ambassador, making a tenor a postmaster general, and making an announcer a Supreme Court justice. It's not my doings, and I just want to tell you that I'm not going to stand for it. Just a minute, Mr. Burns. Don't raise your voice to the Secretary of State. Secretary of State? <laughs> well, I... Now you can enjoy both Heinz lotion in bottles and Heinz hand cream in jars. Those smart red and white jars contain the fluffiest, creamiest hand cream Heinz could make. Like the famous Heinz lotion, the new Heinz hand cream is quick softening for chapped hands. It comes in two sizes, 10 cents and 39 cents a jar. Thanks, Truman. Oh, Gracie, say goodnight. No, wait. First, I want to thank Bill Coram for his lovely wire endorsing my campaign. Well, good. Now say goodnight. Well, goodnight. I'll see you in the White House. Say goodnight. Next Wednesday, at this same time, over these same stations, George and Gracie and all the rest of us will be back again. Don't forget. And don't forget, for Honeymoon Hands, it's Heinz Honey and Almond Cream. This is the Columbia Broadcasting System. And that's the Burns and Allen Show, February 28, 1940. George Burns and Gracie Allen is heard on CBS, sponsored by Heinz Honey and Almond Cream. I don't think that's around anymore. but Oh, yes, I use it. Is? It is? Yeah? I keep it in my big ceramic bowl. Right. You <laughs> bought it all from 1940, and you've just kept it since then, right? I am a rat pack now. Yeah, right very now. good. All right, let's take a break. When we come back, it's the CBS Radio Workshop. Stick around. More Hollywood 360 after these important messages. And now back to Hollywood 360 with Carl Amari. Welcome back. I'm Carl Amari. Lisa Wolf to my right. Mike Costello to my left. That's the team here on the Hollywood 360 radio series. And it's time now for the CBS Radio Workshop. This drama series had all kinds of fun stuff on it. Uh, dramas, mysteries, western, sci-fi. And we have a sci-fi episode for you now. Let's go back to May 25th. 1956 for The Little Prince, starring Dick Beals. CBS Radio presents the CBS Radio Workshop, dedicated to man's imagination, the theater of the mind. Tonight's presentation, The Little Prince, by the late Antoine de Saint-Exupéry. Years ago, I had an accident with my airplane in the desert of Sahara. Something was broken in my engine. Being alone, I set myself to attempt the difficult repairs. It was a question of life or death. I had only enough drinking water to last about a week. The first night, I went to sleep on the sand a thousand miles from any human habitation. You can imagine my amazement when at sunrise I was awakened by an odd little voice. If you please, draw me a sheep. What? Draw me a sheep. I jumped to my feet completely thunderstruck. 
I saw a most extraordinary small person who stood examining me with great seriousness. He seemed neither to be fainting from fatigue or hunger, or thirst or fear. When I was able to speak, I said, What are you doing here? If you please, draw me a sheep. I... I don't know how to draw. That doesn't matter. Draw me a sheep. When I was only six, I had drawn a picture of a boa constrictor. From the outside, digesting an elephant. The grown-ups couldn't understand it. They told me it looked like a hat. They advised me to lay aside my drawing and devote myself to geography, history, arithmetic, and grammar. I did because it's tiresome for children to be always and forever explaining things to them. Would you please draw me a sheep? The little fellow was so insistent I took out my pen and some paper. Since I had never drawn a sheep, I drew for him my picture of the boa constrictor that looked like a hat. No, no, no. I do not want an elephant inside a boa constrictor. A boa constrictor is very dangerous, and an elephant is cumbersome. Where I live, everything is very small. What I need is a sheep. Please draw me one. I made several attempts. Then, being in a hurry to start working on my engine, I tossed off a drawing of a box that had some air holes in it and explained that the sheep was inside. That is exactly the way I wanted it. Do you think the sheep will require a great deal of grass? Well, there will surely be enough. It's a very small sheep I've given you. Not so small. Look. Look through the air hole. My sheep has gone to sleep. It took me a long time to learn where he came from. It was only from words dropped by chance that little by little everything was revealed to me. I learned, for example, that the little prince came from another planet and that his planet was scarcely any larger than a house. I should remind the grown-ups that in addition to the great planets, there are hundreds of others, some too small to be seen through telescopes, called asteroids, which are designated by numbers. The planet the little prince came from is asteroid B612. As each day passed, I would learn more about the little prince's planet. On the third day, I heard about the catastrophe of the baobabs. Isn't it true that sheep eat little bushes? Yes, yes, that's true. Then it follows they also eat baobabs. Baobabs? But it would take a herd of elephants to eat anything as gigantic as a baobab. Before they grow so big, don't baobabs start out by being little? Entirely correct. But why do you want the sheep to eat the little baobabs? I knew a planet inhabited by a lazy man. He neglected three little bushes. What happened? Catastrophe. The baobabs spread over the entire planet, bored clear through it with their roots, split it in pieces. So you must be careful. It is a question of discipline. I must attend to my planet each morning, as I do myself. It's tedious. I need the sheep. On the fifth day, thanks to the sheep, the secret of the little prince's life was revealed to me. If a sheep eats little bushes, does it eat flowers, A too? sheep eats anything it finds in its reach. Even flowers that have thorns? Yes, even flowers that have thorns. The thorns? 
What use are they? Don't you ever let go of a question once you've asked it. Can't you see I'm busy fixing my plane? There's so little drinking water left, I must finish the repairs. But you haven't answered my question. All right, all right. The thorns are of no use at all. Flowers have thorns just for spite. Oh, I don't believe you. Flowers are weak creatures. They are naive. They reassure themselves as best they can. They believe that their thorns are terrible weapons. And you actually believe that the flowers... No, 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 I don't believe anything. I answered you the first thing that came into my head. Now, don't you see I'm very busy with matters of consequence? Matters of consequence? You you talk just like the grown-ups. The flowers have been growing thorns for millions of years. For millions of years, the sheep have been eating them just the same. It is not a matter of consequence to try to understand why the flowers go to so much trouble to grow thorns which are never of any use to them. Now, just a moment. If I I knew one flower which is unique in the universe, which grows nowhere but on my planet, which one little sheep can destroy in a single bite some morning without even noticing what he is doing, you think that is not important? I'm sorry. I, I didn't realize. Now, the flower you love is not in danger. I'll draw you a muzzle for your sheep. I'll draw you a railing to put around your flower. I didn't know what else to say to him. Night had fallen. I had let my tools drop from my hand. Of what moment now was my hammer or thirst or death? There was a little prince to be comforted. I felt awkward and blundering. I... I didn't know how I could reach him. It's such a secret place, the land of tears. So that's why you left your tiny home on asteroid B-612. It was love. Love for a flower. A flower unique in all the universe. At first I was captivated by her beauty. Very quickly, she began to torment me with her vanity. And soon I came to doubt her. Was she the only flower on your planet? Oh, no. But the others are very simple. They take up no room. Cause not one bit of trouble. Your flower was different. Very. She came from a seed blown to my planet from who knows where. From the moment she first showed herself, she became demanding. She commanded all of my time. Even that time, I had always devoted to the baobabs in my volcanoes. Volcanoes? I have two active volcanoes. Very convenient for heating my breakfast. I carefully clean them out every morning. If they are well cleaned out, volcanoes burn slowly and steadily, without eruptions. I... I see. I also have one volcano that is extinct. I clean it out, too. One never knows. No, one never knows. You were telling me about your flower. I ought never to have run away from her. I ought to have judged her by deeds and not by words. I ought to have guessed that behind her poor little stratagems lay real affection for me. But I was too young to know how to love her. The fact is that I do not know how to understand anything. And so it was that the little prince fled from the proud flower he loved but could not understand. To escape from his planet, the little prince took advantage of the migration of a flock of wild birds. 
He found himself in the neighborhood of asteroids number 325, 326, 27, 28, and 329. He began to visit them in order to add to his knowledge. The first asteroid was inhabited by a king clad in a royal purple and ermine who was seated upon a magic throne. That's the first portion of the CBS Radio Workshop. We'll get to the conclusion after these messages. And now back to Hollywood 360 with Carl Amari. Welcome back to the show. Let's tune in now to the conclusion of this uh, CBS Radio Workshop. Also in the cast, Raymond Burr, Ben Wright, Joseph Kearns, and Hans Conried supporting Dick Beals. You know that Dick Beals, Lisa, was Speedy Alka-Seltzer on the Speedy Alka-Seltzer commercials? He was the... He was the voice of Speedy Alka-Seltzer. I didn't, probably, but I clearly remember those commercials. Yeah, I probably recognize him listening to the show here. Let's get back to The Little Prince on the CBS Radio Workshop. The king was elated when he saw The Little Prince coming. Ah, a subject. Approach so that I may see you better. The king felt consumingly proud of being at last king over somebody. The little prince looked everywhere for a place to sit down, but the entire planet was crammed and obstructed by the king's magnificent robe. So he remained standing. Since he was tired, he yawned. It is contrary to etiquette to yawn in the presence of a king. I forbid you to do so. I can't help it. I have come on a long journey and have had no sleep. Ah, then I order you to yawn. Come now, yawn again. That's an order. That frightens me. I cannot anymore. Well, then I... I order you sometimes to yawn and sometimes not to. Look here, I insist that my authority be respected. I tolerate no disobedience. I am an absolute monarch. However, I always make my orders reasonable. That is very wise. Oh, of course. If I offered a general to change himself into a seabird and he did not... It would be my fault, not his. May I sit down? Yeah, I order you to do so. Here, I shall move my robe. Sire, I beg that you will excuse my asking a question. I order you to ask me a question. Sire, you are alone here. This planet is tiny. Over what do you rule? Over everything. Over everything? You mean the other planets and all the stars? Oh, over all that. Oh, that's marvelous. You can see a sunset whenever you wish. Oh, sire, I should like to see a sunset. Do me that kindness. Order the sun to set. If, if, if I ordered a general to fly from one flower to another like a butterfly, or, or write a tragic drama, or change himself into a seabird, and if he did not, which of us would be wrong? You. Exactly. One must require from each one only the duty he can perform. I have the right to require obedience because my orders are reasonable. But my sunset? You shall have it. I shall command it. When, sire? Mm-hmm. Well, I, I, I shall consult my almanac. Uh, mm, uh, mm. Uh, ah, yeah, here we are. Uh, that will be this evening about 20 minutes to 8. 
And when I give the order, <laughs> you see how well I'm obeyed. I see. Oh, I have nothing more to do here, so I shall set out on my way again. Oh, do not go. Do not go. I, uh, 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 I'll make you a minister. Minister of what? Minister of, of Justice. Yeah, that's it, Minister of Justice. But there is nobody here to judge. Hmm? Well, then you shall judge yourself. It's far more difficult to judge oneself than to judge others. I can judge myself anywhere. I, uh, I have good reason to believe that somewhere on my planet there is an old rat. You can judge this old rat. And from time to time you will condemn him to death. You will have to pardon him on each occasion. He must be treated thriftily. He's the only one we have. I wouldn't like that. I think I will go on my way. Oh, no. I am ready to depart. If your majesty wishes to be promptly obeyed, he should be able to give me a reasonable order. Oh, well, very well. I order you to be gone by the end of one minute. <laughs> the conditions seem favorable. And hear this. I make you my ambassador. The grown-ups are very strange. The second planet was inhabited by a conceited man who thought the little prince had come to admire him. Ah, I am about to receive a visit from an admirer. Good morning. That is a queer hat you are wearing. It is a hat for salutes. I raise it in salute when people acclaim me. Oh, unfortunately, nobody at all ever passes this way. Oh? Clap your hands one against the other. All right. You see? I now raise my hat in salute. Do it again. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, wouldn't you like to applaud me again? Well, no. <clears throat> but uh, you really do admire me. What do you mean? Well, you regard me as the handsomest, the best dressed, the richest and most intelligent man on this planet. <laughs> but you're the only man on your planet. Uh, well, do me this kindness. Admire me just the same. Very well. I admire you. Ah, thank you. Thank you and goodbye. Now, what is there in that to interest him so much? The grown-ups are certainly very odd. The third planet belonged to a businessman. This man was so much occupied that he did not even raise his head at the little prince's arrival. Three and two make five. Five and good seven. Good morning. Good morning. Uh, Your cigarette is gone out. 22. I haven't had time to light it again. That makes um, 501,622,731. 500 million oh, what? I can't stop. I've got too much to do. I'm concerned with matters of consequence. 500 million what? During the 54 years I've inhabited this planet, I've been disturbed only twice by inconsequential balderdash. This is the third time. I was saying 501 million... Millions six, of what? Those little objects one sometimes sees in the sky. Flies? No, little glittering objects. The ones that set lazy men to idle dreaming. You mean the stars. That's right. And what do you do with the stars? Nothing. I own them. But 
have already seen a king who told Kings me... do not own. They reign over. It's very different. And it makes me very rich. What good does it do you to be rich? Well, it makes it possible for me to buy more stars, if any are discovered. How is it possible for, for one to own the stars? To whom do they belong? To nobody. Then they belong to me, because I was the first to think of it. Uh, I suppose that is true, but what do you do with them? I administer them, count them, recount them. It's difficult, but I am a man who is interested in matters of consequence. You cannot pluck the stars from heaven. No, but I can put them into the bank. Whatever does that mean? I write the number of my stars on a paper. I put the paper into a drawer and lock it with a key. Is that all? It is enough. That is rather poetic, but of no great consequence. Your ideas about matters of consequence are quite different from those of grown-ups. Right. I myself own a flower, which I water every day. I own three volcanoes, which I clean out every day. It is of some use to my volcanoes and my flowers that I own them. You are of no use to the stars. Boulder Dash! Now, let's see, where was I? Uh, 342, 77 plus 89. The grown-ups are altogether extraordinary. Tell me, how did you come to visit this planet, the Earth? It was recommended by a geographer on the fifth planet I visited. Do you like it? Do you intend to stay? It has been almost a year since I left my home, my flower, my volcanoes. I'm worried. The baobabs? I left them under control. Your flower, then? On my journey, I learned many things. I learned that flowers are in danger of speedy disappearance. Soon I must return. It had been eight days since my accident in the desert. The last drop of my water supply was gone. The little prince seemed not to guess the danger. A little sunshine was all he seemed to need. He was recounting some of his experiences after coming to our planet. I met a friend. He was a fox. My dear little man, this is no longer a matter that could have anything to do with a fox. Why not? I am about to die of thirst. I'll tell you about it as we go, then. Come, let us look for a well. It's absurd to look for a well at random in the immensity of the desert. When arrived on the earth, I was surprised not to see any people. It was explained to me that I had landed on the desert. Your friend the fox told you this? No. It was a little gold-colored snake. A funny little animal. No thicker than a finger. A little yellow snake, but they're deadly. Not deadly. But more powerful than the finger of a king. He could have struck you fatally. He told me he could help me someday. If I grew too homesick for my planet. He told me all I need do is come back to the place where I descended. He would meet me there. Are you so homesick then? It is very close to the anniversary of my arrival. At that time, my planet will be right overhead. I... I shall be unhappy if you go. That is what the fox said. It was his fault. He wanted me to tame him. Tame him? It was when I wandered into a garden filled with flowers. There were thousands of them, precisely alike. They called themselves roses. I was brokenhearted. Because of the roses? They were all exactly like my flower. A flower I thought to be unique in all the universe. Oh. 
The fox made me understand, to have hope again. He wanted me to tame him because it would establish ties and make him different from all the other foxes. I'm beginning to understand. I looked again at the roses. They were beautiful, but one would not die for them. My rose is more important than all the others because it is she that I have watered. It is she I have put under a glass globe, sheltered from the wind behind a screen. Listen to when she grumbled or boasted. She is my rose. And your friend the fox? When I met him, he was as yet nothing. Just a fox like thousands of other foxes. But I have made him my friend. And now he is unique in all the world. You have learned a secret. A simple secret. It's only with the heart that one can see rightly. What is essential is invisible to the eye. Men have forgotten that you become responsible forever for what you have tamed. I am responsible for my rose. When we had trudged along for several hours in silence, the darkness fell and the stars came out. The little prince dropped off to sleep. I took him in my arms and set out walking once more. I felt the need of protecting him as if he himself were a flame that might be extinguished by a little puff of wind. I walked on. I found the well at daybreak. Now, you must keep your promise, you know. The muzzle for my sheep. I remember. I... I'm afraid it's not very good. This will be all right. You have plans I don't know about. Tomorrow will be the anniversary of my descent to the earth. And your star will be just above? You must return to your work on the engine now. I will be waiting here. Come back tomorrow evening. I... I'm a little frightened. Remember the fox. One runs the risk of weeping a little if one lets himself be tamed. I was not reassured. I did not want to lose my little friend. I pretended to go, but returned and hid behind a rock. I could not see to whom see, the little prince was I speaking. Remembered. This is the exact spot. At the right time. You have good poison. You are sure you will not make me suffer too long. My heart jumped to my throat. I looked around the rock. Before me, facing the little prince, was one of those yellow snakes that take just 30 seconds to end your life. I dug into my pocket for my gun and started to run. The snake let himself flow across the sand like the dying spray of a fountain and disappeared among the stones. What does this mean? Why are you talking with snakes? You will find out what is wrong with your engine today, and you can go back home. I, too, am going home today. It is much farther, much more difficult. I want you to stay a while longer. I have your sheep and the sheep's box, and I have the muzzle. Little man, I want to hear you laugh again. Tell me it's only a bad dream, this affair of the snake, the meeting place, the star. At night you will look up at the stars. My star will be just one of the stars for you. 
You will love to watch all of the stars in the heavens. They will be your friends. <laughs> I am making you a present. Little prince, dear little prince, I love to hear that laughter. That is my present. Just that. What are you trying to say? For most people, the stars are silent. You, you alone will have the stars as no one else has them. I don't understand. In one of the stars, I shall be living. In one of them, I shall be laughing. It will be as if all the stars were laughing when you look at the night sky. Only you will have the stars that can laugh. I too shall look at the stars. They will all be wells with a rusty pulley. You will have five hundred million little bells, and I shall have five hundred million springs of fresh water. Now, let me go by myself. You, you're afraid, little friend. I am responsible for my flower. She is so weak, so naive. She has four thorns of no use at all. Don't go, please. Don't go. I seemed unable to move. The little prince hesitated, took one step. There was nothing there but a flash of yellow close to his ankle. He remained motionless for an instant. He did not cry out. He fell gently as a tree falls. There wasn't even any sound because of the sand. Now, years and years have gone by. Until now, I've never told this story. My sorrow is comforted a little, not entirely, but I know he did go back to his planet. His body was not there at daybreak. At night, I love to listen to the stars. It's like five hundred million little bells. But there is one extraordinary thing. When I drew the muzzle for the little prince, I forgot to add the leather strap to it. He will never have been able to fasten it on his sheep. So now I keep wondering what's happening on his planet. Perhaps the sheep has eaten the flower, and the little bells are changed to tears. Here then is a great mystery. Nothing in the universe can be the same if somewhere a sheep that we have never seen has. Yes or no, eaten a rose, and no grown-up will ever understand that this is a matter of so much importance. The CBS Radio Workshop has presented The Little Prince by Antoine de Saint-Exupéry, produced and directed by Anthony Ellis. The script was adapted for radio by Frank Tossig. Richard Beals was heard as The Little Prince, with Raymond Burr as our narrator. Featured in the cast were Ben Wright, Joseph Kearns, and Hans Conrad. 
Music for tonight's workshop was composed by Rene Garagank and conducted by Wilbur Hatch. This is Hugh Douglas inviting you to join us again next week when from New York we present H.L. Mencken, The Story of a Journalist. That's next week on the CBS Radio Workshop. America listens most to the CBS Radio Network. And that's the CBS Radio Workshop going back to May 25th, 1956. Not a lot of radio shows that we hear, Lisa, were from 1956. No, we're already into television. Yeah, well, the CBS Radio Workshop uh, lingered on. It was on for, I mean, into the mid to late 1950s. It was a terrific show, but you're right. People had abandoned radio by this time. And we're watching that newfangled device called uh, television. Crazy, huh? Yeah. And uh, this show, The Little Prince, Good Sci-Fi Adventure, Dick Beals in the lead role as the alien. And he was Speedy Alka-Seltzer, the voice of Speedy Alka-Seltzer. And I got to work with Dick Beals. I did a radio show in the 19, I would say 1990s, late 1990s, called Peter Absolute on the Erie Canal. It was a new time radio drama that I produced, and it had a little boy uh, traveling down the Erie Canal. It was sort of like a Gulliver's Travels type of thing. And Arthur Anderson, the famous actor that was that worked with Orson Welles, when he was a kid, played Peter Absolute. Okay, well he wanted to redo it with new actors, and he wanted to direct it, and he worked with me, and I produced it. And we flew Arthur Anderson in to the Chicago area, and we had him kind of directing. He played a part in it also. And then we landed Dick Beals. Now, Dick Beals, at the time he did this, was probably 65 years old, but he he's a little person. So his voice ne- and his voice never changed. He always played young boys all the way into his adulthood. In fact, when he was Speedy Alka-Seltzer, he was an adult playing this, like, you right. know. Do you uh, still have this recording? Yeah, you yeah. should play it. We sometime. should play it. Yeah, yeah that yeah. would be great. It's 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 really good. I mean, I'm biased. I produced it. Well, but, I'll let you know. But there's a <laughs> lot of fantastic. I mean, you know, all these great actors from Chicago, like David Pesquese and all these different yeah, I people. I think it was before it. I knew you. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. No. No. It's this a couple is what, months. Way before I knew you. <laughs> Otherwise, you would have been in it. Of Lisa course. Will. All right, so uh, yeah, Dick Beals on that. Now, also in this cast of The Little Prince was uh, Raymond Burr. Hey, Raymond Burr here. You know, good old Ironside and Perry Mason, Ben Wright, Joseph Kearns, and Hans Conried as heard on CBS. Let's take a break. Then it's more here on Hollywood 360. More Hollywood 360 after these important messages. Are you a fan of classic radio? Shows like Abbott and Costello. What's the guy's name on first base? No, what is on second base? I'm not asking you who's on second. Who's on first? One base at a time. Well, Gunsmoke. I'm that man. Matt Dillon, United States Marshal. Inner Sanctum. This is your host to welcome you in through the squeaking door. Fibber McGee and Molly. What day is this? Oh, no, let me see. This, dearie, is our 15th wedding anniversary. And many more. As a thank you for listening to this show, we want to give you 10 of the best classic radio shows of all time absolutely free. Just log on to Hollywood360radio.com to get them today. You'll receive complete episodes of Sam Spade, Escape, Fibber McGee and Molly, Suspense, Abbott and Costello, Inner Sanctum, X-1, Gunsmoke, Our Miss Brooks, and Lights Out. Just log on to Hollywood360radio.com. And receive your 10 free classic radio shows today. That's Hollywood360radio.com. 
And now back to Hollywood 360 with Carl Amari. All right, welcome back to the show. I'm Carl Amari, Lisa Wolf to my right. I love your hairstyle, Lisa. Thanks, Carl. Really, really good. It's called a bowl cut. Do you wear wild root cream oil in it? Because uh, I that do. Was the it gives it some oily s- um, glow. Slicky kind of. Nice oily glow. Yeah, when uh, your husband Dan runs his fingers through, it's all greasy when he's done. Well, it makes it soft and healthy. Yeah. So and then it, you, I think it's attractive on me. Yeah, I like it because it's like dripping off. You know, it almost, almost makes it look like you haven't washed your hair in a while. So yeah, I like it. All good. right, on our next show. The Amazing Mr. Tut. We've never played one. Brand new show. And then Fibber McGee and Molly. So be with us on Hollywood 360.